probably noticed all the activity out in the atrium today when you walked in, or that area we call the lobby sometimes, the atrium. Uh, there's plenty of activity going on out there, and that's because for the next two weekends, um, you're going to have the opportunity, all of you that want to, to sign up to be a part of a life group. And that's the area out there that we've designated and created space for you all to, to, to do that. And I'm going to tell you more about that here in just a few minutes. But first, let me tell you about um, a new series that I am starting today. And I, I call it a series. Really, it's more like a two-part sermon, a part one today and a part two next week. But we call everything series around here. We're just calling it grouped, and, and we're calling it group because that's what the next two weeks are all about, helping you get into a group, helping you get grouped with uh, other people um, in a life group, and, and so what I'm going to be preaching about today and next week corresponds with what's going to be happening out in the atrium at the same time. Now, if you've been around New Life for very long, you know that uh, we believe in life groups. It's a big deal to us. Um, if you have joined us since the start of the pandemic, I know a lot of you kind of started watching online, and then when we, when we started regathering uh, about a year ago, you started joining us, you know, um, and maybe you don't know as much about life groups. To be quite honest with, with you, the pandemic really did a number on our life groups here at New Life. A lot of people pulled back from them for obvious reasons. Not all of them were meeting. Some of them have started re-meeting, not uh, meeting again, um, not always looking the same way. Anyway, you may not be aware of what life groups are. So, so if you're not, let me just tell you, a life group is sometimes in other churches called a small group. We call them life groups. And they, about eight, 10, sometimes 12, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. Number of people, they gather together once a week in somebody's home so that they can fellowship together, so they can be with other people that pray together. They study God's word. And these life groups create an opportunity where you can use your gifts to serve God in some way. That's a life group, a weekly gathering of a small group of people to study, pray, fellowship, and serve the Lord together. And that very much makes up kind of our vision for what a life group is. And let me share with you exactly what it is. I'm gonna put it on the screen so it's absolutely clear. Life groups, they're designed to grow together in faith and community through prayer, study, fellowship, and service. That's what a life group is. When I say service, it just means serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Grow together in faith and community. Those are two very loaded words through prayer, study, fellowship, and service. Let me just say it real plainly like this. Life group's just a great thing to be a part of. They, they really are. So just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever been a part of a new life life group or a small group or a D group, a cell group, whatever, a previous church? How many have ever been a part of something like that? All right, lots of hands. Good, because I'm talking to the choir then it looks like today. You know then the benefit of what being a part of a life group or small group can, is all about. And I'll tell you, when it's really good, it's really, really good. So I want to talk to you about that today. Um, my wife, Kirsten, and I, um, we have just treasured our life groups. I mean, in our whole, you know, married life, we've been a part of life groups pretty much the entire time. And we've just loved every combination of people that we have been a part of over the last 22 years together. And um, in our life group we have right now, we just, have, over the last year or two, just really grown to love each and every person in that life group. When our life group started, we didn't know uh, over half of the people in our life group. We were kind of 
getting to know them in the life group setting. But I'll tell you, we have, over the last few years, grown together. We've all got kind of kids the same age, and their lives have kind of become intertwined with ours. And I can tell you, not only do we get together to pray and study God's Word, to fellowship together, um, and we've served together, we've had projects we've done together, but our lives have become so intertwined. Sometimes you don't know when life group starts, when life group ends, when life begins, when life group starts. We've just kind of been all intermingled, as I believe it should be. It should be. Um, you know, um, when I, I want you to also know that I have been cautioned greatly. When my life group found out that I was going to be doing some speaking on life groups, they were like, uh, what are you going to say? How much are you going to say? And I said, hey, don't you worry. I know that I, we believe, we live by the motto, what, what happens in life group stays in life group. And so they've got nothing to worry about uh, of what I might say up here. So I, I tried to put them at ease, and so, but no, I'm not going to share anything too personal. But uh, life groups are just, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. We, when we talk about life groups here at New Life, uh, we talk about them this way. That here at New Life, we are not a church that has life groups, but rather we are a church of life groups. And those are two very different things. How we look at life groups, it's not like, hey, here's, life groups is one of 15 things you can get involved with. That's not how we talk about it. We look at ourselves as, as hey, everybody being in a life group, the whole church is made up of life group, and these smaller groups of people come together and make up what is New Life Christian Church. <clears throat> so we are a church of life groups. Um, we're not a church that has some life groups. And those, that's a very, very important distinction. We have this vision, and some people look at me and they say, Joe, that's unrealistic. You'll never achieve it. And I say fooey on that, and I don't really believe them when they say that. But we have this vision that one day the vast majority of, of, of people that call New Life Christian Church their home, that a vast majority, if not all of them, would be actively engaged in a life group, in a small group of people that are praying together, studying together, fellowshiping together, and serving the Lord together. That we see a church that has made it a priority to be at church every single week, whether it be coming to church on Saturday night or one of our three Sunday morning worship services. But worship would be the utmost priority. We don't let anything get in the way of that. And, and this is because we're committed to worship. And then finally, that each person in our church family would seek out ways to be used of God, their gifts, their talents, to be used of God to do something with the Lord's name on it in some form of ministry. And you might be thinking, man, gee whiz, Joe, that's a lot. That's a lot to, to ask. And I, I guess I would respond by saying, but is it? But, but is it really to come to church every week to make worship a priority in your life? To plug into a life group? To find out ways and be available to God to use the gifts that he gave you to serve him? Is that too much to ask? I'll tell you, I'm going to let you wrestle with that and compare it to the, the many ways that you spend your week and your time and what your priorities are. But I, we just have this vision of, of that's what it should look like and can look like. But I will say this, there's just something that's fundamentally sound about believers who go through life together. Believers who are there for one another, helping one another, growing together, experiencing the kind of unity that is consistently spoken about, spoken about through the pages of the Bible from the very beginning to the end. It's, it's a unity 
that God loves. God loves this togetherness, this unity. And I believe that believers are at their very best when they are unified. Unified around God's word, unified around God's purposes, coming together and doing life together. Hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the 133rd Psalm. Psalm 133, it's in the Old Testament. And if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a Bible somewhere close to you. And, and if you don't know where Psalm, the book of Psalm is, um, just let the Bible flop open on your lap and there's a pretty good chance it might open to Psalms automatically. You know, not sure. Maybe Proverbs, maybe Ecclesiastes. If that happens, go back a couple books. But uh, it shouldn't be too hard to find. The book of Psalms, it's kind of in the middle of the Bible, not quite to the middle, but right there. And once you find Psalm, go and find the number 133. That's the 133rd chapter. And if you're not, if you're not that familiar, if you've never read the 133rd Psalm, because maybe you just haven't spent much time in the Bible, or you're not that familiar with it, then I'm really happy to be the one that gets to introduce you to this amazing psalm that David wrote. It's the 133rd Psalm. It's a very vivid psalm. It expresses very clearly what God finds to be good and pleasant for his people. It's something that I believe as we as Christians should be able to accomplish. And when we do accomplish it, it's gonna be absolutely incredible. Have you found the 133rd Psalm? If not, it's gonna be on the screen behind me. It just says this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I'll tell you, I love passages of the Bible that's that specific, that tell me exactly what God likes. You know, kind of like last week, we looked at a lot of verses in the Bible that tells us exactly what God's will is. Remember, it is God's will for you to dot, dot, dot. I love passages of the Bible that gives me clarity. And this is one of these verses that just gives me clarity. It lets me know, hey, you don't have to wonder about what God likes. God's gonna tell you what he likes, what he finds good and pleasant. So how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now let's ask this question. Who exactly is God's people? I think that's an appropriate question to ask. If, if God loves it when his people are unified, well, who are God's people? The Hebrew behind the phrase God's people means brother or brotherhood. And it certainly can apply to family members. It can apply to a, an actual brother or a relative. But we understand that in the context of what David is writing, He's talking about the brotherhood or the sisterhood of the Israelite people. They were God's people. They were God's family when David wrote this psalm. So when he says God's people, he's talking about, about the Israelites, his, his people. Now, if you're familiar with his people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, then, then you would know that their plight with God was very up and down. And I would say there was only a few times that they ever really reached the unity that perhaps David is referring to in this psalm. And when they did, it was good and it was pleasant and amazing things happened, but they often weren't together. They often weren't rallied behind God. They, 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 they weren't that way all the time. But I would say from that moment till now, Nothing has changed about what God still finds good and pleasant. So God hasn't changed his mind, what he likes about things. So for the Israelite people, God's people back when David wrote this, to today, the church defined as, as the people of God, God's family, those who have a common bond and faith of Jesus Christ, who are believers, God's desire to this day is still that his family, and I would say the church, the body of Christ, the believers, he still finds it good and pleasant 
when we live together in unity. Now catch this next part of what David writes in the psalm. He gives us two very clear mental pictures that describes how good it is to God when people live in unity. Look at verse two. It is like precious oil poured down on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard on the collar, down on the collar of his robe. Now I'm gonna read that again because I don't want you to miss the comparison that David is making of how God feels when his people live together in unity. Let's read it again. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar onto his robe. Can you visualize what that looks like? Oil being poured on somebody's head and it just runs down their head. I, when I was originally started working on this sermon, I, I had this idea. I'm gonna find the best bearded man in our church. And I'm gonna see if he'd be willing to come up here and let me pour oil on his head to visualize this. And then the more I kind of played around with that idea, I thought, well, first of all, that's gonna be a tremendous mess up here. And the second thing is, I don't think there's a guy in this church who would allow me to do that to him four times in a row. I really just don't think that guy exists. So I'm just gonna trust that you can visualize this. Oil coming down the head, going off the beard. It's very vivid in its imagery. Let me tell you a little bit about oil and anointing in the Old Testament when this was written. Oil was often used to anoint priests. It was often used to anoint kings. And sometimes even to anoint prophets. If you're familiar, you might remember young David, before anybody knew who he was, before he ever killed Goliath, Samuel found him. And he was looking for the next king. And do you remember he anointed him with oil and he anointed him as the next king of Israel to take Saul's place. The name Aaron is used in David's description. Aaron, um, I believe, is brought into this illustration. Um, even though he'd been dead for many years, Aaron was Israel's first priest. He was actually Moses' brother. And I think when the Israelites, when David wrote this psalm, and he says Aaron's beard, he wants them to make a connection to, to a significant role uh, of what he's talking about. So he, he evokes Aaron's name, Moses' brother, the first priest, and he's talking about a moment we read about in Leviticus chapter 8 verse 12 where it just says he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. The, the, the Israelites would have understood what this moment was all about. Aaron at that moment was being set apart. The word used is consecrated, anointed, set apart for a special service. And this oil represented God's blessing over that person. So the picture is of overflowing a blessing and abundance with this oil. Now this oil that flowed down Aaron's beard and it went onto his shoulders. We read more about this in Exodus chapter 28. How it came down, Aaron would have worn a breastplate that would have had the 12 tribes of Israel represented on the chest plate. And that oil would drip down and go over the chest plate of the 12 tribes and it symbolizes the consecration, the separation, the holiness of the entirety of God's people that were wrapped up, wrapped up in the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Now this oil that was used had a very strong aroma. It would have been pleasing to when people smelled it. And, and many have speculated this aroma was so strong and it was so precious of an oil and so rare that the aroma would have just saturated the area and it would have covered over all the other odors of the day in that moment as this anointing was taking place. And many have suggested that this was to symbolize Israel's influence they were supposed to be a sweet aroma for God. They were the ones that were supposed to, in a sense, bring, bring pleasure and awesomeness to the land around them. This is what it looks like, how good and pleasing it is to be God's people. The whole imagery of, of, of this picture of God's blessing flowing down on the people as a result of their unity together. Now let's go back and read those two verses in context. Verse one, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, onto the collar of the robe. In other words, it's awesome. That's the whole point. That's the whole point he's trying to say. It is awesome when God's people live together in unity. Now, David doesn't stop there. He's gonna give us another comparison. He gives another great illustration that we can visualize. Look at verse three. He says, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows his blessing, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The dew of Hermon is a reference to the highest point in the Holy Land. It's the Mount of Hermon. There's three summits, as I understand, but the highest point is 9,232 feet in the air. This is where a lot of water flows down and feeds the streams. This is what feeds the Jordan River. Um, this is, I think, the only place in the Holy Land of the Middle East that you're gonna find snow at any time of the year. In fact, if you really wanna be adventurous and go snow skiing in the Middle East, I believe there is one ski resort on top of Mount Hermon that is open for a very short amount of time every year if you really wanna go skiing in the Middle East. I don't think it's Colorado, but hey, if that's the only place you can do it, it probably works. A lot of things in the Bible happen around this mountain. In fact, if you ever want to just kind of do a little independent study on your own, start researching all the things in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, about high places and high peaks and this and that. And this mountain is quite a significant place in the Bible. The word translated the dew, like the dew of Hermon, can also be understood as like a light rain or a drizzle. Obviously, there's a lot of moisture up there that high on the mountain because of all the streams that are fed from this mountain. It has always been a symbol of life and prosperity, but the moisture and the dew represents this life that comes from this mountain and it blesses everything in the lower areas. Now, David mentions Mount Zion in this last verse here. Mount Zion is a much smaller hill. We have kind of generically referred to it as Jerusalem. More specifically, Mount Zion is a hill that the Temple Mount in the city of David was built on. And it was a symbol of God's people. I mean, all throughout the, the Bible, we know Jerusalem is the heartbeat of God's people. It's where they dwell. Like God's whole ministry comes out of Jerusalem. It's God's people. The temple is built there in Jerusalem. And so he talks about how Mount Zion, Jerusalem, God's people, 
They are the beneficiary of this great abundance that comes down off of Mount Hermon. It just flows down. It just flows down from above and they're blessed by it. So the imagery is really clear. So you ask how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Well, it's like saying God, the unity is so refreshing that it's like the dew, it's like the rain that falls on top of Mount Hermon every year that brings refreshment and renewal to all the dry areas like Jerusalem. It just flows down and it blesses the whole area. There is something about the unity of God's people that is special and it's wonderful. And there's something about the unity of God that just releases his blessing to all that would be in its path, all the unified people. Now let's read this together now, all together in context. Verse one, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Friends, God loves unity in his family. Loves unity. And don't we too? Don't we love unity in our own families? And how much more abundant that is when unity is present? How much more motivated are we as parents when unity in our family to do? It's not all that different with God. It just flows down. You know, Jesus even prayed for this kind of unity. It's not just an Old Testament concept. No, this unity followed all the way into the New Testament, traces us all the way to today. Jesus prayed for this kind of unity. The night before Jesus went to the cross, all of John 17 is this big, long prayer that Jesus prayed. You get to verse 20. He says, my prayer is not just for them alone. In other words, he had been praying for the disciples. Then he shifts to some, somebody else. Shifts us. He goes, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Do you hear this togetherness talk? May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And then verse 23. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. What's the very last thing that Jesus prayed for right there? What's the very last thing? He prays that the unity would come so that the world will see. There's something that will happen in our world off the unity of God's people. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I've been pretty open and transparent with you for a good long while now about how the church in America is not very unified these days. It just isn't. And I look at that and I ask the question, is it any wonder that our friends, our family, our fellow Americans, our patriots don't seem to know much about God's purposes or his plans today through Jesus Christ? Should it shock us that they don't? I mean, is it any wonder that they don't know and, and they really don't care that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life? If Jesus prayed that, the, that his family would be unified, 
And then when we are, then the whole world will know something very significant about him. Our society doesn't know much about God anymore. Could it be? The fact that American church just can't seem to get their act together. We're just not very unified. In fact, the American church has become quite worldly. And that's why many of you are here. Unity among believers, God's people, the church, it has everything to do with our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors knowing all about what God has done for them through Jesus Christ. They see something in us, that unity. And I would say that the family of God right here at New Life Christian Church, one of the greatest testimonies we have to the lost people that we know and the lost people of Bella Vista is the unity of our congregation. When our interactions with each other match the biblical uh, descriptions of unity in, in the Bible, when those things match up and there's unity among God's people, well, that is a powerful thing and that trickles out. It flows out in, the country, in our community and they see that stuff. That's what Jesus prayed for. May I be in them and you and me and all together in unity and then the world will know that you have sent me. You know, life groups can be a really wonderful expression of that level of unity. It certainly was that for the early church. Many would argue today that when was the church at its very best? The church was at its very best, many would say, when it first started, right after the day of Pentecost. These early Christians, that's when they say it was the best. And there's this movement, I certainly believe in it, that we need to figure out how to be the church today living like the church of the first century. How do you do that? Well, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's just, this is a description of these earliest Christians. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, which this is before the New Testament. So this is the, the apostles teaching the people everything that Jesus told them. This is the Holy Spirit reminding them of Jesus' words and revealing things, and they would teach the church. So that would later become the New Testament. So they were devoted to God's word. That's how we say it. They were devoted to fellowship. That wasn't just coffee and donuts for five minutes on a Sunday morning. No, that was involved with each other's lives. That Greek word is koinonia, fellowship, involvement. It's, it's more than just a handshake and a smile. It's you did life with people. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper and they were devoted to prayer. Uh, these four things were more than a big deal. These four things were the deal. Their entire Christian life, their entire existence was formulated around these four things. God's word, being together as Christians, doing life together, remembering Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the Lord's Supper, and, 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 and fellowship. Being together, prayer, all of these things. It goes on to say in verse 44, all the believers were together in common, together and had everything in common. That sounds pretty unifying to me. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you understand the flow of things happening? They were together in complete unity, surrounded by God's word, with each other, together. And what was the result? Lots of people came to faith. Isn't that what Jesus prayed for? So in the earliest days of the church, unity was best seen in their shared faith in Jesus Christ and how they depended on one another. In fact, the unity of people, 
needing one another, it was the very fabric of the church. So I want to share something with you that I've come greatly convicted of over the years. You may have to wrestle it down a little bit like I have, but, but I'm at peace with this. And it'd be this, that it would be impossible to live up to all the teachings found in Scripture without the unity of God's people. It'd be impossible. You cannot follow the Bible to its fullest outside of unity. Let me give you a few verses. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. How do you do that outside of the unity of God's people? I don't think you can. 1 Peter 2, 17, Peter tells the church, love the family of believers. It's impossible to obey outside of unity. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Can't do it outside of unity. The very next verse, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Can't do it without unity. Can't do it without being together. And a lot of churches don't. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You can't obey this one outside of unity. Hebrews 10.24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How do you do that outside of unity? You can't. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, the list of verses could go on and on and on, but they all speak to the same truth, that it would be impossible to live up to the teachings, all of them found in Scripture, without the unity of God's people. So, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I already mentioned before that uh, there's a whole lot of stuff happening in the atrium today. I'm gonna invite you to this opportunity that when we dismiss here today, that you take a few minutes and you walk that atrium and you say this prayer as you do. God, I'm open. I'm open. I think it's time to, to maybe take the next step in my involvement with the church and my next step in my walk with Jesus. And Lord, if you want me to, would you guide me to just the right life group? You're gonna see a lot of people out here wearing shirts just like the one I, I got on. And you're right, this is not my normal clergy attire <laughs> on Sunday mornings. But I'm a life group leader and you're gonna see a lot of people with this shirt on out there. They're all life group leaders. Everybody has one of these shirts on as a life group leader and they would love for you to come talk to them and they would love to tell you about their group. And they'd love to offer you an invitation to come be a part of their group. They're gonna tell you when their group meets, what day of the night, uh, what time, um, what part of the community they live in, east side, west side, wherever, you know, east west side, whatever, I don't know, the, the gang thing. But they'd love for you to be a part of, of uh, their group. Now, when we dismiss, of course, if, we're gonna have some elders up here, as always. They'd love to pray with you and, and, and visit if you'd like to give your life to Christ or learn more or whatever. They're, they're here to do some ministry with you. But if you're not staying for that, when we dismiss, and you go out there and just be open. And some of you are like, boy, I wasn't ready for this today. I wasn't even thinking about this today. And that's okay. Some of you are looking for your people. You just moved here and you haven't built the relationships yet. And this is a great opportunity. Some of you are lonely. You've been going through life alone and the pandemic almost took you down. This is your opportunity to be with some people. 
This is your opportunity. Some of you are like, I want to I wanna, I wanna grow. I wanna, you know, growth comes really well with other people. They'll challenge you, you know, put their arm around you, support you. We need each other. Be in an environment where you can pray and study and fellowship and, and see what kind of gifts God has. We're just laying out an opportunity. And I know some of you weren't prepared for this, but I'm asking you to be open to what God may do. Cody Raglan, our Connections pastor, has done a really wonderful job of opening up many opportunities for this. And, um, and I don't know if we have enough life groups for everybody yet, but I'd sure like to see them all get maxed out and we gotta figure it out from there. That would be awesome. But I want you to do that. It's prayer, study, fellowship, serve. This might be one of those days you look back on and go, huh, yeah, that's when it all changed for me. I hope it is. Can I pray for you? Dear Lord, I just thank you for the clear teaching of your word. I, I, Lord, we love that you are so specific in your word that you tell us what your will is. You tell us what you like. You, it takes the guesswork out of it for us. So Lord, it's on us now to obey and be the kind of people that you find joy and pleasure and what you find good. Lord, we want you to look at our church family and say, that's my people. And Lord, we want your blessings to flow abundantly down from you that when you see the unity of your church, well, it's like oil poured down on the head that flows down the beard and on the shoulders. It's like the rains of Mount Hermon that flow down and blesses the dry areas. Lord, we know your word tells us you like that. That's what you find pleasure in. And Lord, our response is we wanna be unified. Us in you, you in us, Lord. Then the world will know what you did. Lord, oh, I pray you build us into that kind of church, Lord, that we've got multiple layers and that these layers come together in unity to build something wonderful and reach those that don't know about it yet. So Lord, that's our prayer. Would you inspire each of us, inspire each of us through your spirit, Lord, of what you'd have us to do. Lord, I'm asking you, God, to make some connections today. Open doors, make it clear. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.